2: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. An Ereos Original.
0: And welcome to Web Crawlers, the podcast where we do a deep dive into some of our favorite mysteries. Each week, we will introduce our topic, lay out our research and findings, reveal some conspiracy theories, and conclude with our own hypothesis. I am Allie Siegel.
3: I am Melissa Stettin. And I'm checking my garage band, and I, producer Maria. <laughs> Perfect. Welcome.
0: <laughs> um melissa who are our patrons for today
3: we have candra or condra mm. like the name amanda and david
0: welcome to the team do we want to announce the winner now or should we do it during our mailbag
3: let's announce it baby it's it's time to announce our patreon winner who's gonna get a year free of web crawlers patreon so melissa who is our Reviewer winner. Well, the winner is? Amanda. Amanda. Stupid loser 17. I mean, just for that,
0: (laughs) just for that, she's the winner.
3: You're not a loser. You're a winner, Amanda. (laughs) You are a literal winner. Mm -hmm. We have your Instagram. We'll contact you and we'll set it all up. Yeah. Your free year of Patreon. Congratulations. Her review
0: is wacky, wild and wonderful. A plus plus podcast. Five stars. Yes, please. Never did I think I would find a podcast that checks all my boxes at the same time. True crime, conspiracy theories, cults, scandals, food, sisterhood banter, (laughs) fart jokes, sick sick and twisted yet intellectual commentary, and real housewives drama, dead giveaway. I seriously cannot get enough. I wipe my eyes with tears of laughter and joy every single episode. (laughs) Keep it coming, sisters. P.S. I've never been to Red Lobster.
3: Well, this is your year. Yeah,
0: this 2022 coming is up, your year. Amanda. Is the year. <laughs> yes, so thank you, Amanda. You are our patron, and thank you to our Patreon uh, angel for for that donation.
3: Yes, and thank you, and you guys. We're at a thousand yes. and one reviews. Woo! La, we la, did it. Time to quit the podcast. Yeah, we're, we're done quitting. now. This is just our kidding, last kidding. Just
0: kidding. This is our last episode. We're done now. So thank you, guys. <laughs> I am so excited for our episode today. We're very lucky. Vice gave us some pre-screeners of their new docuseries, Small Town Secrets. It is an amazing docuseries. And on this episode, we get to interview one of the documentarians. Yes. Who is an incredible woman. This episode is about Denise Flum. She was a young woman who vanished under very suspicious and unknown circumstances on March 28, 1986 in Conner'sville, Indiana. Now on July 9th, 2020, her ex-boyfriend was charged with voluntary manslaughter in her case, but he died before facing trial.
3: Classic.
0: Yes, men <laughs> of a terminal <laughs> illness. Did he actually do it though? There are a lot of suspects in this case who are still around, still living in this small town. There's also a serial killer who might have done it. The upcoming Vice documentary series, Small Town Secrets, chronicles what happens to Denise and the efforts of detectives and journalists who are trying to bring this cold case back to life. Now, Let's get Get into into it. it. Denise was 18 years old when she disappeared. She was the sixth in her class. She was an athlete, incredibly popular. Just like me. She was a a classic Melissa type. I identify with her. (laughs) Even though later in the documentary, her ex-boyfriend, Sean, is interviewed and says... Oh, Denise didn't really have a lot of friends. She was kind of weird girl.
3: I don't trust him.
0: Absolutely not the case based on what everyone else says. She was involved in basketball, softball, track, volleyball. She was a member of the National Honor Society. She was accepted to Miami University in Ohio hmm Is Miami a city in Ohio?
3: It's Miami University in Ohio. I've heard of it.
0: She was planning on majoring in microbiology. She hoped to get a track scholarship. She lived at home in Connorsville, Indiana, with her parents, Judy and David, and her younger sister, Jenny. Connorsville, much like most of these true crime cases that we look into, is a very small town. Everybody knows... Everybody, everyone is up in each other's business. You either know someone or you're related to them somehow. Cool. You're you're either someone's third cousin or you work with them or go to school with them. One of those kinds of things. Basically my worst nightmare. (laughs) The town has been haunted by this case ever since. They don't know what happened. And there's been a resurgence of trying to figure out what happened to denise what year
3: was denise went missing
0: 1986
3: march 28
0: 1986 when's your birthday Allie? <laughs> M- oh my god march 9th, so i am not denise reincarnated well you, i mean
3: no, you never know yeah, you missed it by 20 days <laughs> i
0: missed it so this is what happened to denise the night before her disappearance, she went to this huge party with her friend, Kim. The party, uh, took place. It was a bonfire,
3: bon, bonfire. bonfire, a barn far. <laughs> it was a bonfire. It was a bonfire. It was a bonfire.
0: I'm getting, I'm getting everyone in, in the zone. It was a bonfire <laughs> party at. A barn, which is how <laughs> things kind of worked in this town. <laughs>
3: it's a barn. There's a bar car. <laughs> <It's>
0: <laughs> you know how it goes. She drove to Glenwood Inn to purchase beer with her friend. A hundred or so people were at this party allegedly, partying at a remote farm in town, drinking Did beer. they have a fake
3: did they have fake IDs? Or was her friend over twenty one? They must have had fake IDs. Or did they play Hey Mister? It was also 1986. Oh, yeah. No one cared. So, you know, a little more loosey-goosey maybe. And maybe in a
0: small town, no one really cared or their friend was working to register. Yeah. She was hanging out, I guess, a little bit with Sean and making out, even though they had broken up before the party, a few weeks before. And Denise was partying a little bit more, trying to get over him out dating according to Sean both Sean and Denise had moved on by the time of this party during the party Denise had put her purse down somewhere and she lost it she was looking everywhere for it couldn't find it Decided to go home and just come back the next day and get it during daylight.
3: So she went home from the yeah. party that night and then came back the next morning.
0: So she disappeared during to get the her day. Purse. She disappeared during the day the next morning. So she leaves, comes home, goes to bed. March 28th, 1986, the morning before her mom goes to work, Denise says, hey, I left my purse at the party. I have to go back and get it or try to find it. None of her friends would go with her to go get it, so she has to go alone. They're probably hungover or have to go Mm -hmm. to work or something. Denise leaves her house. She walks outside. She talks to her neighbor Wilma for a little bit. Wilma recounts seeing her that morning. Her mom recounts seeing her that morning. Denise goes to the car and drives, assumingly, towards the party to get her purse.
3: But we don't know exactly, though, right? We just know that she left her house.
0: She left her house, yeah. She left her house at 12.30 p.m. without money and without an ID because obviously they were in her purse. The party site was about 15 minutes away. Two hours later, she's still not home. That's when her mom starts to get a little worried, you know, where's Denise? It should have taken 30 minutes, an hour to, to come back. Maybe she can't find her purse since she's mm-hmm. looking for it. Maybe she met a friend there. Who knows what happens? Twelve hours later, she's still missing. They're freaked out. So Saturday, the Flums, as a family, start searching. That afternoon, Denise's car is found, abandoned outside town, four miles from the party site.
3: Oh, four miles. And she lives about 15 minutes away.
0: Yeah. But we'll find out later that the car is actually close to a different site. Right, At first, no foul play is suspected. They think maybe Denise ran away. Maybe she was trying to start a new life. Maybe she went through this breakup with Sean and was just over it. However, that was not indicative of her personality. She was a Mm -hmm. student. She had tons of places she needed to be. I mean, volleyball practice, soccer, whatever. She was going to go to college to become a scientist. That's not the type of person who just abandons her car and leaves town. This doofus Ted McQuinley is the lead detective when Denise goes missing. This guy. (sighs) Ted is her dad's cousin, who's a family member. If I'm correct, he also has a hook for an arm, which is not... Doesn't make him any less of a detective. It's just an interesting plot point that he has a hook arm. McQuinley's detective style is unconventional to say the least. He uses psychics to try to determine where she could be.
3: <sighs> Ted. Ted
0: <come> <laughs> he doesn't pull Denise's phone records. He doesn't go through her room. He doesn't. Take any notes when he interviews anyone or gets information.
3: He just, yeah, he said, he pointed to his head. He's like, it's all up here. Yeah. It's just all. Oh, no. You don't want when a waiter does that, I get, <laughs> yeah, I get I- upset. I know. You know,
0: yeah, I, can't I wouldn't want it. the
3: detective doing it. No,
0: absolutely not. You don't want anyone just storing info in their noggin. Uh-uh. No, uh-uh. no, you don't trust anyone's brain. So he keeps <laughs> all the notes in his head. He also doesn't follow up on a ton of leads. He doesn't interview people. Also, there's a woman who later comes and calls in and says, I heard blood-curdling screams the night that Denise disappeared, and Ted just does not follow up. (sighs) Ted, It's unclear how hard he's actually investigating this case. Additionally, when he's interviewed on the doc 30 years later... He has no memories of really what he did or what happened.
3: Yeah, they ask him like, "Do you remember interviewing this person?" And he's like, "Yeah, I don't. I I assume I did." Yeah, like no, if he was Ted. guilty.
0: If he was guilty, I probably would have looked into it more. I
3: would have looked into it. I know,
0: which is not helpful when a case is being reopened or re looked into. No. If you have no memory of what happened and no documentation or no paper trail, you essentially have to start from square one, Yeah, which is what's happening in this documentary. So this detective, Stacey Reese, has made it her mission to find out what happened to Denise. And this is what the documentary is about. She was only three years old when Denise vanished and they grew up in the same town. Her mother babysat Denise and Jenny, Denise's sister, when they were children. Her father was a volunteer firefighter and assisted in the search parties after Denise disappeared. Today, Stacy is a police detective in Vincennes County, but she volunteers her services to help the Flum family and has become their spokesper- spokesperson. She's also, I believe, an advocate for women um both in like domestic violence and who have disappeared which is i think how she found the case of denise amazing yeah she also runs the justice for denise flum facebook page and community where people post tips and memorials etc wow. so with the resurgence of interest from stacy Fayette County Sheriff Joe Laughlin, who was just seven years old when Denise disappeared. So like all these people just stay in the community. So they grew up yeah. with this disappearance and now are cops and stuff. Yeah, He eventually took on the case along with Detective Chad Blaze. I never really trusted Chad, but I'll give him benefit of the doubt.
3: Yeah, Chad's a little sus. <laughs> yeah, I
0: don't trust the Chad, <laughs> but I'll do it. They've taken the case and reopened it and are looking into it now. There are three, three to four main suspects. The first one is the ex-boyfriend, Sean. Sean M. McClung. When they dated, Sean was possessive, domineering at times, not nice. According to letters that Denise wrote her friend, Sean hung out with a real drug crowd. The friend says that Sean didn't engage in conversation and would just stand in a corner and
3: stare at people. (laughs) It was a me at a party. Yeah, which is not
0: a sick vibe. I don't love the vibe of someone who's just stare a drug a drug dude who's just staring at me.
3: I don't love it.
0: Yeah. He McClung was obviously Denise's boyfriend. They were together for three years. They broke up shortly before Denise disappeared, and he was allegedly possessive, uh, potentially in hindsight, emotionally abusive, and intimidating. Now, the people I think are more aware of emotional yeah. abuse and what relationships are like. You're like, oh, Sean, something was a little Ooh, off there. Yeah. So it was not a great relationship that they were in. Sean moved right after Denise disappeared, which is also pretty suspect. Suspect. He also, when Denise disappeared, told everyone not to worry. He was like, don't worry. She's probably going to be found. He was the one, too, who probably told everyone, hey, she probably just ran away. Don't worry about it. Sean, though, has a pretty bad criminal record. Yeah, he was arrested. This is after Denise's disappearance. Was arrested for keeping a girlfriend hostage and
3: captive. Yeah, what? <laughs>
0: not good. Uh,
3: not good.
0: Uh, he was arrested for domestic violence, assault, confinement, battery against a
3: police officer. Yeah, at this point in the documentary, I'm like, oh, he did it. Yeah, I was he did like, it. oh.
0: At first, I thought Detective McQuinley might have done it because I uh, yeah. was thinking, why is he doing such a poor job in all of yeah, this? so strange. Then they introduce... Honestly, every time they introduce someone new in the documentary, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, it. they did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, then they introduce Sean. and I was like, okay, Sean did it. They never follow up on Sean. They just... Ted is like, okay, Sean didn't do it. He moves away. Then he moves back to town 30 years later at the time where this documentary is being started. The new cops who are investigating the case bring Sean back in and they do a voice stress test, which I wonder if that is more or less credible than a lie detector. I
3: would. I I feel like it would be more credible. I think so, too. What is it? A voice stress test? Voice stress test. They ask like the same questions as a lie detector, but they can tell in their voice, like if it's, I don't know. If you, like, if you go cheeky. like, no, no, I, no. I don't know <laughs> how high your voice. Yeah, <laughs>
2: no, I
3: didn't do it. Uh, I'm no. doing this podcast.
2: Uh
0: The it says the preponderance of evidence indicates that polygraph is far more accurate than detecting deception hmm. than is a voice stress analysis
3: i mean they're both pretty i don't trust lie detectors i don't trust this voice like it's so hard to yeah okay well anyways according to the voice
0: stress test sean is lying a lot he also lies on the question did you kill denise flum but they they can't indict him on that they can't bring him in on that but it it peaks it peaks everyone's attention denise's mom writes a note to sean pleading him to tell the truth and this is 2019 he she says we already have a plot of land to bury denise in oh, please yeah. show us where your where her body is please confess you know this must be weighing so heavily on you she also says sean i know your mom has passed away and she was a wonderful woman she's probably in heaven if you want to join her in heaven, you need to confess to what you've done so that you're Yeah, sins that letter are. was
3: intense.
0: It was really, really intense and might be what eventually yeah. caused Sean to confess, which he does. But even after the confession, it's like, did he do it, though? There's another suspect named Benny Johnson. He is a Connorsville local. He graduated a few years before Denise. Since her disappearance in 1986, he's had several legal problems as well. He's been arrested, convicted of attempted battery on a cop, trespassing, resisting law enforcement, etc. A lot of rich kid shit. So Benny Johnson and the Johnson family, they're the wealthy family in Connersville. They own a lot of land, a lot of farming, etc. Benny drunkenly, allegedly confessed to killing Denise to more than a dozen people.
3: Yeah, just going around town telling people he killed her.
0: Every time he would get drunk in the bar, he would just talk about killing Denise. He would talk about how he did it. But the story would change every time about how he did it. In the most disturbing story, he said that he beat her up and fed her to hogs. Uh, Really scary stuff. Benny was never called in for questioning.
3: Of course not. Why would he be? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Literally confessing to crimes all around town, and Ted's like, I don't know, he seems like a good guy. His mother paid for a private lie detector test. People say that his wealth in the community prevented him from being thoroughly investigated and that people were afraid of him and his family, Mm -hmm. which probably true. They probably funded the police and different stuff. Benny also had a no-good cousin named Randy.
3: No good cousin. (laughs) No good
0: cousin. Randy also confessed to the murder of Denise, saying that they beat her up and fed her to the hogs. This is the craziest thing. So Benny has a girlfriend at the time, and Benny, I guess, has a party at one of their cabins the same week Denise goes missing. Benny and his girlfriend go to clean up the cabin before the party, Benny's girlfriend says that there's a ton of blood in the cabin.
3: Yeah. The same week Denise went missing.
0: Yeah. At, yeah. The same week. And after Denise goes missing, ben, Denise, uh, Benny's girlfriend's like, Hey, uh, Benny, what's the deal with all this blood <laughs> in the cabin? The deal with what's this blood? What's the deal with all this blood? And Benny says the blood was there because a girl had lost her virginity the night before. No, 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 no. Betty's girlfriend is like, uh, it doesn't work like that. That's not. Uh, she's like, I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but I'm a woman and I know how it works and it's not nice. like that. No, no, no. So Benny's girlfriend tells the investigators and they, of course, do nothing with that information. She's like, hey, uh, I went to a cabin with the guy who's confessing to the murder and the cabin was filled with blood and the the detectives don't do anything about it.
3: What are we supposed to do? (laughs) uh,
0: (laughs) We're eating donuts right now. Sorry, babe. Sorry, toots cadaver dogs so later cadaver dogs smell human ra- remains at a bird sanctuary which is near
1: mm-hmm. they
0: continue to drain the lake try to find denise's body but it's also raining so every time they drain the lake it fills back up with rain that's they, crazy they sift the entire area by la- by hand and they can't find anything it's just like this agony agonizing search for denise and her body trying to figure out who who did it and they cannot find anything. Then this woman, Vivian May, says that she heard screams the night of Denise's disappearance that sounded like a woman. She says the screams are awful, horrible, blood-curdling. It was a series of three screams. Vivian called the cops when she heard Denise was missing to tell about the screams. The cops never followed up. The screams came from southwest from where Vivian May lived. And not surprisingly, Ben Johnson, Benny Johnson's dad, owns the farm and a cabin where the screams were coming from. Uh-huh. Yeah. Again, this was not looked into. Crazy. Another thing that's kind of interesting at the time was there is a serial killer on the loose in, an, in the area. His name was Larry Hall, serial killer in 1986. He was in the Walbosh area of Indiana. At one point, Larry made a list of all the people he had killed, and Denise was on the list. And Hall was in the area at the time, and Flum fits Hall's victim profile.
3: Yeah, he had he admitted to killing a lot of people.
0: So at this point, everyone's admitted to killing Denise. Yeah, it's really crazy. <laughs> so it's like, who who's the most likely to have done it? It's yeah. crazy. Then there's a confession, though. On July 9th, 2020, as we said, Sean confesses to voluntary manslaughter, but he dies before facing trial. He was brought into questioning once this case had been kind of reopened, reinvestigated. He confesses, but then he says that he only confessed because he thought that that would get him off. He was like, No, I only confessed because I thought that I would be released and then no one would ever do anything. And I thought that if I said I did it, that there wouldn't be a trial or jail time, that you'd just be like, Okay, bye. Which is yeah, no. what? That's not that's not that's how weird. it works. Weird. He could not lead the police to where the body was.
3: Yeah, that was weird. They were like in a car driving around.
0: Yeah. And he's and he like, he just Oh, I think know. it's
3: over here.
0: Which is also like, okay, so I don't think in hindsight, Sean did it. He might have been a bad dude. I don't think either. I don't think he was a murderer. He might have. I think it was
3: that letter that Denise's mom sent him.
0: Yeah. And like just
3: being in the quest in questioning the police were like, just tell us, just tell us you did it. It'll be fine. And he was just like, okay, fine. I'll tell you.
0: Exactly. Let's take a quick break for announcements. Webcrawlers has a Patreon to get access to rewards, bonus episodes, shout outs, discounts, video episodes, ad free episodes. Please go to patreon.com slash webcrawlers. Or if you just want to donate to your favorite or least favorite podcast, you can donate as little as $2 (laughs) a month to become one of our patrons. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We always read your five star reviews on our mailbag episodes. Also, guys, please, 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 please call us and leave voicemails. This is crazy, but we are caught up.
3: It took, what, two years? It
0: took two years, but we are caught (laughs) up on your
3: voicemails. (laughs)
0: Please call 626-604-6262, also in search goal here.
2: Six to six, six to four, six six two.
0: And say whatever you want to us. Honestly, it, it can just be nonsense, and we'll play it on our mini-episodes. We need you.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: Back to our program. Today, we are so lucky. We have Gianna Taboni, who is one of the lead investigators and co-directors of Small Town Secrets, the disappearance of Denise Flum. Her resume is insane, and it's intimidating to say the least. She is a multi-award winning filmmaker with more than 40 films that have aired on HBO, Showtime, Hulu, and Vice. She is a senior correspondent and producer for Vice News. She was one of the first journalists in the world to interview ISIS fighters on the front line in Iraq, among many other things. Uh, she was named to Forbes 30 under 30 list for media. She's a TEDx speaker. She's a Peabody finalist. She's received an Emmy, a GLAD award, front page, Gracie and Webby award for best documentary series. They
3: call that an EGFG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got, you heard of an EGOT. We got an EGFGLV.
0: Uh, she's got to be the only person who has, I mean, incredible amazing career definitely this has to be the rock bottom of her career is being on our podcast so we are Dare i we are, say
3: the pinnacle <laughs> or
0: the pinnacle depending on how you look at it so we are so lucky to have gianna and ask her some questions okay uh gianna we did a thorough introduction of you and your terrifying and illustrious bio but is there any way that you would like to introduce yourself that feels you know most authentic to you or where people can find you or see your work
4: sure I'm a documentary filmmaker um, I work for vice media I'm also a mom and San Francisco native um, and yeah I just I love uh, helping people tell their stories
0: this story was An incredible one and very unlike some of the other true crime stuff that we have watched or had access to and kind of its intimacy in your involvement and also the involvement of the families and the neighborhood in general. What drew you to this case in particular?
4: My co-director, Nicole, and I, and, and we're good friends. We, we do a lot of documentaries together. We um, were in rural Indiana doing a documentary on domestic violence um, and the broken criminal justice system um, around it, um, let's see, three or so years ago. Um, and we met this advocate who was connecting us with, you know, women for us to interview. And we were having margaritas late one night after a long shoot day and we were just exhausted and just like glad to be hanging out and she kind of slowly was like by the way I want to tell you about this like cold case in this town that my friend who's a detective is working on and for me I was just kind of like
2: oh man
4: (laughs) I'm tired I love this woman but this is just like I don't you know it's, it's not what we do yeah Fast forward an hour, we're like sitting in the detective's living room, going through all this evidence, like stayed there late into the night um, because we were just sort of like mesmerized by everything that this independent detective, who is Detective Stacey Reese, um, had compiled and the hundreds of interviews she had done and all this stuff she had uncovered. And mostly that there were three persons of interest who still lived in the town. Um, two of whom had allegedly confessed to being involved in Denise's disappearance, and one of whom, Denise's ex-boyfriend, who had this long history of domestic violence and still lived in the town 30-something years later. And we were sort of like, how is this possible? We're not true crime filmmakers, but we are investigative journalists. And we thought, you know, we do so many stories about women's Rights and um, you know stories involving abuse and triumphs and, and we just thought this could be something that we could just apply our experience to and try to find a home for it and so it we didn't know if anyone would pick it up we didn't know you know if we would get funding to go back there but we just kind of looked at each other and we're like we got to do this
0: well it's so interesting um, I've had domestic violence in my past and just what people don't know or realized about domestic violence. And even especially during quarantine and COVID, how much those percentages went up because people were stuck in their homes together and how much domestic violence affects every aspect of life, whether it's like immigration, uh gun control. I mean, it's such, it infiltrates everything that we do. And, you know, obviously it, it, Got into this other aspect of this true crime case um speaking of stacy reese i'm curious as to how you think like these independent detectives who take on cold cases or even internet sleuths are changing the nature of you know crime investigation either for good or for bad or maybe both
4: so I'm sure they're a real pain in the ass for sheriff's <laughs> yeah. and they're like, stop interviewing our suspects, you know? Um but I think they're really important, you know. I think it's different case to case, you know, county to county. But in this case, I think detective Stacey Reese has been vital to where the case is today. I mean, you asked Denise's mom, Judy, and she's like, She's the best detective that has worked this case. Like people wouldn't be paying attention to it if it weren't for her. And mostly that's because she just posted about Denise's 50th birthday a few years ago and it blew up in their town. Like she was wow. getting all these shares and likes and everything. And suddenly I think the family realized like, wow, people still care about our daughter and still care about our family getting justice. And so they started this Facebook page, which is really kind of like fueled investigations. I mean, a lot of like tips and leads come through there, which again is like a pain for the sheriff's department because a lot of it is nonsense. Um, but they've come forward with some pretty important information. So I would say it it varies case to case, but in detective Reese's, um, I would say in, in her example, she's like, she's a very good detective and she's been incredibly dedicated to this case. And as she says, she's not giving up. You know, she'll be 90 years old still working this case if it's not closed. Yeah,
0: and to counter that, the incredible work that she's doing. No disrespect to Detective McQuinley, but how does Stacy Reese's work now kind of um counter the work that was done in 1986 and in the original investigation?
4: So Detective Reese and the Sheriff's Department and Police Department in Connersville, I mean, it's an uphill battle because the original investigation was, I mean, as we say in the film, you know, this original detective McQuinley was in way over his head. You know, it's like he did not have the training. He was in no way equipped to properly investigate this case. And if you don't, as you guys know, do like very important and in some cases obvious work. Mm In those first forty-eight hours, you are kind of screwed, you know. Um, And so, I think that's a big part of the reason that this case isn't closed, and, and why their work today is as hard as it is.
0: Broad question, but what do you think happened to Denise from your being in, you know, the town and talking to people in your work with Stacey?
4: As you guys know from from watching the series, you know, there's a confession, there are interrogations of these persons of interest. Um, we approach all three of the persons of interest. Um, I don't want to give anything away right. in case anyone listening wants to watch. But I will say that Nicole, my co-director, and I still, three years later, talk every single week about... Something we didn't learn, wow. or um, what else could have happened that we haven't already learned? Um, whether those confessions are real or not real? Um, so, I would say that I have some theories, and I, I, I think that we have a pretty good idea. Um, but I'm, I'm going to hold back just because I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to blow. Up if I give
0: <laughs> totally, totally fair. Your biggest takeaway, I guess, from this project. And I'm also curious your work in domestic violence and and researching that as well. What's your kind of biggest takeaway in how these cold cases occur? So,
4: thanks for sharing your domestic violence experience. I think that's really important because as you said, it is omnipresent in society. It does not discriminate. Mm-hmm. I mean, Anybody and everybody can be affected by this. One of the big misconceptions is that domestic violence is is just physical. Mm -hmm. And most, I think most cases of domestic violence um, also include emotional abuse, financial abuse. And those are very real things that can cause trauma. In Denise's situation, um, there are some people who you'll see in the series who now looking back on their memories, but also evidence that they have, they think that Denise may have been suffering from some type of other abuse before she disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think her partner may have been possessive. I think she could have been experiencing emotional, maybe even physical abuse. A lot of us may normalize that or justify it in our heads as, Uh, well, I shouldn't have done that, you know, and that's why he reacted that way. Or it really is my fault at the end of the day, because I should have done X, Y, Z. And that's a totally natural thing to to try to justify um, the abuse. Um, But in reality, you know, nobody deserves to be abused in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So I I think it happens slowly. Um, And one of my good friends is, is going through this right now. And, you know, it's like, you think because someone cooked you a great dinner and picks the kids up from school that, that like, how could they be abusive? Right. You know? And it's all, it's all manipulation. It's all strategy. Um, and I think that's part of those sort of like Jekyll and Hyde type, you know, personality character uh, characteristics. That's how people I think get away with it for so long. And that's why I think so many women, you know, suffer from this for for years and years before realizing, wow, like that's, that's what I'm experiencing. Um made. I don't know if you guys have seen that series, yes. but that first episode it was like, oh my god, that's like they captured it perfectly. Oh my god, it was it gave me chills. I was like, fuck, that's like it's so hard, I think, for like so many people to be able to say like this is what it is. This is what it feels like. And that first episode, it was like, okay, they totally nailed it. Yeah.
0: And also, I mean, to speak to Denise too, just the escalation of where it can lead. It might start with someone throwing a glass, but then you never know. It could lead to a disappearance like, like Gabby Petito and Gabby Petito. Um, So it's about, you know, seeing the warning signs and then actually having the support and knowledge to do something about it. And things like the documentaries that you're doing are really bringing to light these are the warning signs. This is what's okay. This is what's not okay. Um, right. so it's really, it's really important work. Um, I'm sure hard work and emotionally taxing work also. Um, hence the margarita night. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, my last question is if you could, and I know true crime isn't really uh, your your genre of choice, but if you could look into one cold case or like unsolved mystery and dive into it, what's one that's on your like bucket list or dream list to kind of do?
4: You know, I care so much about the the missing and murdered Indigenous women um, and children in Canada and in the U S and I think people are starting to talk about that epidemic, but not enough. Um, and I would love to empower indigenous filmmakers to cover it, to spread awareness about it or to take the project on myself. Um, but that's just such a disgusting epidemic that has just gone on forever. And it's just, I mean, it just like, I feel so much even thinking about it because it's so wrong that so many women and children, you know, not only disappear or are murdered, but then what happens to their children? A lot of these women are moms Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, and their children go into the foster care system and what happens to them? What experience, what trauma do they experience? You know, and then, and then do they end up exactly where their moms ended up? It's just so backwards. And I, I, I just hate that there isn't a greater effort by both governments to remedy that situation. Canada's it looks like doing a better job than the U.S., but you know, I'm not sure it's enough. So I hope to have an opportunity to, to help that community in some way in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we also talked about that because we had um, talked about the Gabby Petito case, where there is this discrepancy of who gets coverage when they go missing or there's a crime against them and who doesn't. And it's, you know, the disenfranchised and, you know, the indigenous communities who often don't get that same coverage or um, attention uh, from, you know, the public or the police or the government. So that's um, really important. Yeah,
4: I worked at a news network before Vice. And I remember pitching uh, kidnapping story stories, missing kids, and I just felt like anytime it was a child of color, it would just not get picked up, which is no surprise to anyone. Like when's the last time you saw, right. It's like a morning show cover the story of like a black child going missing. Yeah. Um, but if the child is blonde hair, blue eyes, Elizabeth smart, you know, it's like every single morning, like before seven thirty. 30, yes. you know, the most prime time morning show television hour minutes, we'll go to those cases. And it's like, what is wrong with us that we you know that we discriminate in that way,
0: and um, also I hope, sorry,
4: that, yeah, that's changing.
0: And also, it's a matter of what we click on too. It's you know what we're pitching, but also what we're reading. I remember similarly, I used to uh, write. I I was um, writing for a publication, and I had pitched something about the correlation between uh, gun violence and domestic abuse. And they were like, well, let's shelve that for now. But then first, let's do an article on, like, 10 things you can text your crush if he hasn't (laughs) texted you back. And I was like, I have to quit. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, here's my two weeks notice. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I was like, I'm glad I have health insurance here, but I, like, care about (laughs) other things more. Um, So. Thank you for all the work that you do, and we're so excited for everyone to see this documentary. We'll drop this uh, after it airs. I think we'll try to so that people can watch the documentary first. Um Where can people see some of your other uh, work or follow you if you're interested in being followed online <laughs> maybe not i don't know
4: i have enough trolls so i'm <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah um
4: yeah so i'm on twitter um at gianna Taboni. that's g-i-a-n-n-a-t-o-b-o-n-i and then at vice news vice um Vice on Showtime. We tend to title everything with Vice, every show, (laughs) every TV network, every website. So just go Vice to Gianna Taboni and you'll find me. And we'll definitely send you all the trailer for this. So you can, um, yeah, you can embed that with the episode.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we'll send you uh, the episode as well when it comes out. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks for all the
4: work you all are doing.
0: Oh my God. Of course. Have a great day an incredible docu series with a lot of different suspects. Gianna is remaining quiet about who she thinks did it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I think from all this information that it was definitely someone in this Johnson family.
3: I think so too.
0: Yeah, I think it was Benny maybe it was Benny and Randy uh together killed her for what maybe they were partying. Well, it's just so weird that it happened the next day.
3: That's what makes me think it was the ex-boyfriend. But then I don't believe his confession because he kept changing his story and he couldn't lead them to the body. But then he just died. So we don't know. Oh,
0: because, okay. So to, reiter- to reiterate, I don't know if I said this, uh, it was her car was found four miles from the party But it was like one mile away from the Johnson land, from the cabin. So...
3: Right. So maybe somebody drove her car a mile away after they killed her.
0: Maybe Sean was there, but did not physically kill her.
3: I think it was Sean and Benny and Randy. I feel like they all had something to do with it.
0: Yeah. So maybe, maybe there weren't cell phones in
3: 1986. Oh, no, no,
0: no. no. Okay. (laughs) Maybe those big car phones. Car phones. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So maybe, maybe they were still partying on the property. Maybe they had passed out, slept there then. Yeah, that's, it's for sure possible. Then Denise showed up. Sean was angry or said, hey, let's, let's go to a second location or something if you want to keep the party going mm-hmm. or maybe she was she was still trying to, ha- or hey, can we go somewhere to talk? And yeah. then Benny and Randy are there and oh God, it's just, there's so, just so many weird. possibilities and it's so confusing that everyone has confessed, three different people <laughs> confessed to it. No, four different people. Sean, Randy, Benny, and the serial killer all confessed to it.
3: It's so insane.
0: And the detective did nothing.
3: No. It's definitely the the detective's fault for not questioning anyone. I feel like if he questioned people that week, we would have a clearer picture of what really happened. But yeah. since he was just like, we'll never know."
0: And to this day we don't know where the body is. So, no. After a certain amount of time you declare someone deceased, but I mean she could maybe she's still out there. We although the, it's it's unlikely. Um, right. If you have any idea or any theories about what happened, if you grew up in this town or know about it, Melissa, where can people reach us?
3: You can email us at webcrawlerspod at gmail.com. And you can watch this.
0: Yes. The world premiere is Tuesday, January eleventh, twenty twenty-two. Which is
3: today. Oh,
0: shitballs.
3: Wow, look at that. They say you can find Vice TV with an active subscription on Hulu, Fubo, Philo. <laughs> <laughs> These aren't real, Maria.
0: Sourdough. <laughs> yeah yeah so it's on vice tv
3: we'll put a link to it on our twitter we'll link it
0: up i highly highly recommend it it's yeah, really it's riveting three
3: episodes
0: yeah it's really it's really great Good. all right well i am ali siegel i am melissa stettin
3: and i producer maria all right
0: Bye. bye